Unique yet common sense opinions on sports. This is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And on this edition of the podcast, it is my pleasure to welcome in a colleague and friend from the Nightline Sports Network. He is the co-host of the Sons of UCF podcast with UCF Mike. This is Adam Eaton. Adam, thank you so much for being here. Jeff, thanks for having me back. Glad to be on the show. It is always great to have you, and Adam is, of course, very well-versed in the sports world. He's uh, definitely a guy I like to have on in my bull- from my bullpen, so to speak, to uh, talk about all ty- types of sports topics. But we will start off with UCF. Have you gotten over the gut punch of the Tulsa loss yet? I mean, I've gotten past it. I think, uh, you know, we talked about a lot uh, on the show this week. It really kind of boils down to what your expectations were. Um, I think, obviously, we all suspected and, and hoped this team would have high aspirations, and it just hasn't come out that way. And I think we knew that after the after the loss to Pitt. I, I think, for me, the most frustrating thing is, is you know, the way we lost. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody – I'm not willing to submit to you that Tulsa is a better team than us. I think we beat ourselves, and I, I think that's the thing that's most frustrating is that – um, you know, I feel like in any other any other Friday or Saturday, whatever night we played those games, uh, if we lined up with Tulsa, we would still have more talent and, and be the better team. But uh, on that night, we shot ourselves in the foot. They took advantage of it, and uh, it certainly came back to bite us. And it's it's humbling as a as a, as a night fan. You, we've been on such a a meteoric rise the past two seasons, and uh, and, and to kind of see it unravel a little bit, even though. You know, for, for most night fans who date back to our days, Jeff, this would have been a, a dream season at, at three losses. But it just goes to show where the expectation level is now with this uh, with this team. Yeah, and I think you could make a case that uh, all three losses we've kind of beat ourselves in. Yeah, I think it's interesting. So I've been trying to understand how to, how to think about this season so far and what context to put it in. You know, there's been a lot of talk about Coach Heupel and, and his role in this. You know, obviously we know we have a freshman quarterback and – Freshman quarterbacks are going to do what freshman quarterbacks do. But, you know, we had Michael Kalubiali on our show probably about three weeks ago, and he said something to me that I had never heard before, or at least described that way. And we asked him to kind of talk about Heupel's offense and, and the difference and, you know, sort of what it was. And he summed it up basically that Heupel's offense is, my guy is better than your guy. And for the longest time, that, that worked, obviously. We, we have always had, um, in most games, we've had the supreme talent. Gabe Davis, Otis Anderson, Adrian Killens, you know, the list goes on. We've had the supreme talent. And so it, it seems like, though, this year, there are times where, where our talent is – is better than their talent, but their maybe their scheme is better. Maybe they're double covering Gabe Davis, so they have bracket coverage over the middle. And I think for me, the frustrating part has been when that stuff happens. Coach Heupel and the coaching staff—they're not able to adjust schematically. They're not able to scheme their way back into sort of a, a positive light, if you will. And I think that's been the frustrating part: is we know we have the talent. We know that when our talent is out there and they have the ability to succeed, we know what they can do. But when teams take away our talent, we just haven't been able to respond. And I think a lot of folks are, are starting to look at you know Coach Heupel and the staff to figure out how do you how can you scheme our way into uh, into getting some of that solved. And it seems like at times Heupel's stubborn and, and goes back to the well you know one too many times. And I think that's where that's where the season's kind of been a, an eye opening one, and we're learning more about about Coach Heupel and his offense. And, uh, and while I don't suspect we're going to see wholesale changes here for, for the last two games and, and potentially a bowl game, I'm curious to see if he's able to make schematic adjustments to, uh, to help the offense out, particularly when we get bogged down or when the other team maybe is scheming us up a little bit better. Yeah, I think my two issues, and, and again, I'm, I'm from the camp that, you know, he's only in his second season as a head coach, so he's still learning on the job. But I think my two issues come down to this. It's the the propensity to abandon the running game and then it's the discipline that we're having with all the penalties yeah it, it seems like also in close games he, he kind of shrinks the playbook and it makes some sense logically right you think about in times of struggle you know you go back to what you know best go back to what brought you there and it seems like in, in the games that we all struggle one of the common themes we've seen is you know the the griping afterwards has been why are we only running three or four plays why are we doing this why are we doing that I think that's the the evolution of a coach is in year three and year four, is he able to sort of scheme his way out of those things? I agree with you. I think there's times it just seems like we, you know, we get ultra conservative. We run up the middle for a yard. We throw an incomplete pass to the boundary. And then we try a, a, you know, a bomb down the sideline and we're punting in 14 seconds. 
I think Heupel's evolution, and to whatever extent, you know, offensive coordinator Jeff Levy plays a role in this going forward as well. I think their evolution as play callers, um, I, I think, will be a, a big tell for, for how the rest of this season goes. And then, to your point, how he evolved as a head coach going forward. Yeah, and I think the, the abandoning of the running game is really what kind of puts Dylan Gabriel in a tough spot because that puts a lot of pressure on a freshman quarterback, especially in, you know, and I think the offensive line has not really played up as advertised this year, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I think we, we thought this was the strongest group we were going to have in a long time with the guys we had returning. Um, and, and for whatever reason, that just hasn't gelled. Obviously, Hypo and, and offensive line coach Glenn Ellerby have tried some different, you know, different formulas. We see Edward Collins in there now at left tackle. Sam Jackson has played both right tackle and left guard. So we've seen some some sort of mixing and matching of pieces, and that kind of just tells me they're still trying to find that right unit to uh, you know to, to make things happen. But then you know I say that on one side of my mouth, and on the other side of my mouth, you know we are a Parker Rudrow holding call away from a from another long Adrian Killens touchdown run against Tulsa. Mm-hmm. So at times the, the holes are there, the, the line does their part. But we're just a team that you know you said this was penalties, Jeff. If there's anything that does not go our way, we, we just cannot play our way out of adversity. If it's a false start, if it's a hold, if it's a, a drop snap, whatever it might be, if there's anything of an adverse um, a moment in our drives, we're just not able to overcome that. And I think to your point, you know, having a freshman quarterback plays a role in that. But I'm curious to see again if, if Hypo can figure out ways to, to get us, you know, more in front of the chains, and uh, and if we can eliminate some of those negative plays, you know, we can keep ourselves out of those situations. Yeah, and um, today Mackenzie Milton uh, spoke extensively with the media. You, you can get a full uh, dose of that on a special edition of Nightline now on the Nightline Sports Network that uh, was released this evening. But um, very interesting that uh, you know Mackenzie. You know, it's almost been a year since that uh, horrific injury. I was at uh, Tampa Stadium that day, and that was such a weird game, you know, where we win the game, but everybody's walking out of there with this just heavy heart. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's great that he's, uh, you know, he's recovering. Uh, he still hopes to play again. I think it's still very much a long shot. Where, where, what do you think? Well, first, I mean, it, it was great to hear from him. I know it's been a while since we've seen him kind of talking to the media. So I think UCF strategically rolled him out on a bye week where there's some, some negative things happening to, to put a good story out there. But it was, it was good to hear from him nonetheless. Yes. Um, you know, for me, I I try not to let myself think about the fact that, you know, he he has been playing this past season and, and let myself kind of play the what-if you know game because obviously I don't think that's fair to McKenzie. Look, I certainly want him to come back and do whatever it is he wants to do. Uh, I, I think, you know, having the perspective of, of having kids myself and thinking about how I feel as a parent, you know, and, and taking that approach, I, I mean, I certainly just want Mackenzie to be able to be healthy and, and live a productive life. And it sounds like he's he's at peace with where he's at. And I think that was the most telling thing is he sounded very much at peace at one point during the conversation. You know, somebody asked him if, if playing was still kind of his goal. And he sort of, or if it was, sorry, if it'd be his decision if he would or wouldn't play going forward. And he said, hey, I feel like it'd be my decision, but if the doctors tell me I can't play, then then it is what it is. Um, and that's just incredible poise and just perspective from a 22-year-old kid um, who's got dreams that, that were taken from him maybe too soon. My concern is, you know, if, you know, not concern, I guess, but if he does come back and he is able to play, we've got an interesting little conundrum on our hands because obviously Dylan Gabriel has established himself as, as the go-to starter i think obviously daryl mack is now behind uh, gabriel kind of firmly here so what, what if kz is healthy what does what does next season look like um and so i think that'll be interesting to play out but uh, you know i think there, there's time for that I'm, I'm just glad he's 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 got that perspective and you know it's tough to, to sit here and say i, I admire a 22 year old kid but his perspective and the, the faith he has and what he's doing is uh, is certainly admirable and yeah, I think there's there's probably all walks of life where each of us can kind of take that that positivity and just think about our days and and think about perseverance. And I think Mackenzie is a, a great example of that. Yeah, and I think obviously uh, he he was raised by his parents. Well, matter of fact, I can relate to you a story. Uh, my best friend, his wife, uh, teaches over at Timber Creek High School, and last season Mackenzie Milton paid them a visit because they had sent him a get well card from the class. So he came in and spent some time with them. Uh, with you know, with his leg all bandaged up and everything, and uh, very, you know, just very classy. 
Yeah, again, it, it's it's really easy to root for that kid, um, and I think that's where I know there's there were some polls bouncing around uh, Twitter and social media this week around who's the who's the best knight of all time, and and Mackenzie won that won that vote. And there's certainly some you know some some recency bias, perhaps. You have Dante, you have Blake, you have Kevin Smith. But I think that just goes to show he, he's just such an easy kid to root for. And, uh, um, again, I, I couldn't be more proud that at some point we're both going to be alumnus of the same school because he certainly represents UCF really well. Yeah, and I think if, in, if anything as well is, you know, we realized what a great player he was when he was playing. I think even now seeing what, what has happened, transpired this season, even elevates that greatness as a player even more. Yeah, again, you, you forget how good he was, right? You you think about this season, and one of the other changes that you've seen is, you know, last year, if we got ourselves in situations where maybe we're behind the chains or, or things aren't going our way, you know, KZ had a way of getting us out of it. You know, he made a play, he scrambled, you know, he, he, he missed a, uh, you know, a, maybe a defender coming his way and, and, and wiggled free and found somebody open. And some of his playmaking ability perhaps last year masked any of the first-year coaching jitters, if you will, from Coach Heupel. And, uh, and that can't be understated how much he's, you know, how much he potentially saved us last year at, at certain times and, and with his playmaking ability and leadership. So, um, again, just, just a good kid all around, and I'm, I'm, glad that, uh, I'm glad that he wears the black and gold. Amen to that. So the college football playoff poll number two, Ed, Alabama is now out after losing to LSU. Clemson is back in. And, of course, I am of the opinion that uh, Alabama's still going to get in at the end of the day because they're going to be, one, credited with a quote-unquote quality loss to LSU, and they're going to probably avoid playing in the SEC championship game. Yeah, I'd love to see chaos. I'm, I'm so excited about these polls because, I mean, as a as a rabble-rouser night fan, right, chaos is what we're looking for. Um, but I agree. I feel like the committee is going to find any way to get Alabama in. And, frankly, the path is there, right? I mean, LSU and Georgia potentially have to match up at some point. Um, Auburn can, can spoil a lot of this. So they, they play – um, you know, they play Georgia this week. They have Alabama coming up. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how all that shakes out. Uh, I do think you're going to get two SEC schools in there. Um, I do think right now LSU is the head of the class. I think their dominant win um, over Alabama showed that. Obviously, they had a, a close win versus Texas as well. I, I think they're the head of the class right now. Um, but I'm really curious to see what happens, particularly you think about schools like Oregon um, and then poor little Minnesota. You know, they're sitting out there at 9-0. and um, and, uh, and and obviously put a pretty pretty good win up, um, you know, with Penn State, and, and they still have some games in front of them. Um, I'm just rooting for chaos. I agree with you. I don't I don't think the committee wants to go through a year uh, without having Alabama in the playoff. Um, and I think there's a path to get there, but I, I just want chaos. I want uh, I want all kinds of chaos to to have some folks kind of reexamine the system and figure out the right way to get the best four to eight to twelve teams involved in some sort of a playoff. Yeah, most definitely that that would be the case because I think right now it's still too much of a brand awareness game that uh, you know you you look at another school that uh, could be on the outside looking in. Uh, you know, Utah's having a great year too. So I mean, it's just it would be great to see a whole bunch of teams just log jam up that thing. And definitely, I, I am with you on the chaos part. Yeah, Clemson's interesting to me too, right? I mean, obviously, we know they're talented; they're the defending champions. We know, you know, Trevor Lawrence is a, is a stud quarterback. He struggled a little bit this year, um, but and they haven't looked sharp in every game. They, they went down to the wire with North Carolina, uh, but they're going to be undefeated. And how much is that going to matter, right? I mean, how much is an undefeated Clemson? You know, are are they going to keep in the in the polls because of their brand awareness, or if it comes down to Alabama? You know, what if Minnesota gets and beats beats Ohio State and it's a close game? Are they going to, you know, they got to keep Minnesota in, but Ohio State's a brand name. Um, I think there's a lot of brand names at the top and a couple of schools, again, in Oregon, Utah, Minnesota, you know, that could really spoil the party. Um, so, uh, and let's not forget Baylor. Baylor's 9-0 and too, right? Yep. I mean, they have a big one against Oklahoma this weekend. Um, you know, if, if for some reason they run the table, they're undefeated. Are we going to keep an undefeated conference champion out of the playoff? Um, and if that happens, I think then you're going to start to really see some uh, some folks raise their eyebrows and say, okay, what are we doing here then um, if we're just going to invite the brand names every year and we're not going to reward teams for what they actually did on the field. Yeah, and the one thing they are getting, and we are evidence of that right this very moment, is the college football playoff. These polls are meant to stir conversation. <laughs> Yeah, I mean they're they're not you know they're not hurting for money over there, right? I mean certainly their formula works, and that's the 
But the ultimate thing, obviously, is you know typically when you when you figure these things out, the, the rule of thumb is follow the money, right? Um, and so there's there's eyeballs watching, and people are, are are paying big money for these TV deals, and uh, and so you know they're they're incentivized to keep the conversation going because you know shows like this are talking about it, blogs are writing about it. Um, and so eyeballs are definitely all over the playoff. But um, it's interesting, though, to see where the group of five teams are. You've got Cincinnati sitting at 17, Memphis at 18, Boise 21, Navy 23, App State at 25. It just continues to show that if it's UCF or whomever, um, the group of five schools are just going to have a, a just a, a tough challenge. You're, you're, you're literally going to have to play a murderer's row schedule and go unscathed to get yourself anywhere in that conversation just based on, again, what we're seeing this season. Yeah, and great that you bring up the the G5 and you look at the the year in the conference in the American is just outstanding. You know, Navy's going to play Notre Dame this weekend. Uh, they still have an outside chance of being conference champion if things fall their way. Uh, Memphis is ov- obviously strong. SMU's had a solid season. Uh, Cincinnati certainly now has taken control of the Eastern Division. Uh, this conference has really starting to show them show its muscle and i wonder how much of that has to do with you know i don't want to be a homer here but i wonder how much of that has to do with ucf i I think a lot of it does (laughs) yeah and and how much those schools have kind of saw what what took place at ucf and and changed their strategy and changed and changed the way that they're you know that they've approached the game and 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 how much you know the the conference at large is, is getting more eyeballs on it because ucf you know put some eyeballs there and and recruiting across other schools and and so I think the UCF effect I think is a real phenomenon but um, I, we've always known this conference is deep I mean I think to, to the to the outsider you know you look at these schools names and you just watch the box scores and you assume that these schools aren't any good but if you watch this this league week in and week out which I know you and I both do these these are tough teams and there are there are kids who could play in in any number of power five schools that are playing each week uh, for these uh, for these quote unquote group of five schools and the, the talent is there um, and, and it's great to, that now you're starting to see that get flooded in and as a UCF fan that's that's both good and bad news right because the competition will continue to grow but it elevates the, the conference in the way that it's perceived when you're able to, to have so many teams now crack that uh, that, that playoff ranking even at the low end um, it elevates the conference and helps that helps that brand recognition grow and Maybe one day Mike Oresco might just get his P6 wish. Uh, but uh, I guess we'll have to see if, uh, if that actually holds true. Yeah, because in, in even evidence with Tulsa, you know, their record of 3-7, and seven, and, you know, they had those close calls with SMU and with Memphis, and, and, Memphis, and they, you know, they fought Cincinnati tough, and that's what scared me about that game last week was they were so close that they, that they believed they were going to get it at some point, and they did. It's funny. I, I saw the same. I mean, I, I saw their record. I actually saw the Memphis game that they played and, and lost in a heartbreaking fashion. And uh, and I have a chance to do a uh, a midweek show for the Nightline Sports Network, Nightline Extra. And we typically talk to a uh, an insider from each of the rival schools. And so I had a reporter from the Tulsa World on, and I was actually surprised at how just dismissive that he was that Tulsa was going to lose this game because I agree. I thought they were a tough opponent. Um, they they seem to always play hard this season. Um, you knew there was familiarity, so their coach, Philip Montgomery, used to coach with Jeff Levy at, at Baylor, so you knew there would be some offensive familiarity there. Um, and I certainly looked at this as a, you know, quote-unquote trap game to some extent. Um, and, 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 and they were a strong team. And, again, week in and week out, Jeff, you see it all the time. I know you, you do the show just around the conference at large. You see these close games. You see how good these teams are. Um, you see a, a Memphis team who, you know, who, who blows out an SMU team who essentially was, was playing really well. And then you see a Temple team that, that's beat a couple of tough teams, and now they're still in the mix even after they lost to UCF. And Cincinnati's found a way every week. And Houston, with half their team sitting, has still been pretty pretty challenging and, and pretty competitive. So I think it's a deep league. And you know, I think that if you're a truly a college football fan, I think you know that. If you're just going to read the, the box scores every Saturday and watch the, the CBS primetime game, then you probably don't know that. Um, but I think this league is, is certainly proving itself, and I'm, I'm definitely interested to see how it evolves moving forward. Yeah, so let's talk a little pro football, shall we? So uh, one of the things I wanted to get your take on was uh, Lamar Jackson getting a lot of conversation now as league MVP as he's been uh, leading the Baltimore Ravens to an outstanding start this year. Um, I tell you what, I, oh, I my opinion when he was coming out of college, you know, Desmond Howard was quoted as saying, you know, he'll make a great wide receiver. And, you know, I thought he had a chance, you know, because there was a lot of comparison to, like, Tebow. But at least Lamar Jackson could throw the ball, which Tebow could not. 
Uh, and you got to give credit to Jim Harbaugh for utilizing what talent this kid has and really finding a way to tailor this offense around him. Yeah, full disclosure. So uh, Lamar Jackson's from my hometown. So I, I certainly uh, have, have known of and heard of Lamar for a long time. Um, so here, here's what I would tell you. I think, you know, kudos to, to Harbaugh because I think what he did is he hired offensive coordinator Greg Roman. Um, and, and Roman's the same uh, mind that was behind the, uh, the 49ers offense back in the day when Colin Kaepernick was, was their quarterback and when we saw what he did in, in some of those seasons. So I think Roman's put a system in place that's allowed Lamar to be successful. Uh, 15 touchdown passes on the year. He's thrown for over 2,000 yards, 65% completion percentage, which to your point was kind of the, the potential knock on him. I think the telling thing is is the last season he had you know the playoff game against uh, the L.A. Chargers, and, uh, and they held him in check. And so I think that's where the rubber will meet the road as the, as the season wears on and teams start to scheme him up a little bit and, and game plan for him and take away some of the things he does. You know, can he keep this streak rolling through a, a tough playoff gauntlet? Um, he's still a young, uh, a young quarterback. Obviously, young quarterbacks will make mistakes. But, man, he's electric with the ball in his hands. And, and it's almost like a video game cheat code at times <laughs> when you watch him play. Um, and some of the moves he makes, that spin move he had this past week, um, you know, an open field and, and, and kept running full speed. Um, but we've, we've seen this before, right? We've seen quarterbacks come in and kind of take over the league and, and kind of change the way things the things go. And so I'm curious to see if it's sustainable because, unfortunately, defenses in the NFL typically catch up um, after a period of time. So is this sustainable? Will he be able to keep this up? And then can he stay healthy? I mean, I think that's probably the biggest thing is he seems to be uh, really adept at avoiding big hits, and uh, something that like an RG three didn't have a good uh, a good track record at back in the day. So if he can stay healthy um, and keep uh, you know keep some offensive creativity in, in play based on his coordinator, um, I think he's got a good shot. But I think the playoffs and the, the deep end of the season will be a big tell, uh, particularly coming up this season. Yeah, and I, I, the the gauge I like to go by too, especially with these young quarterbacks when they have these little uh, burst on the scene kind of things, is okay. Are they going to go into the Russell Wilson category or the RG three category? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah. Look, I mean, if 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 Lamar Jackson comes out to be you know you know a half of Russell Wilson, that'll that'll be a darn good NFL career, right? Because I think you're you're looking at Wilson right now and seeing what he continues to do week in and week out. Um, and you got to be impressed by that guy, but yeah, again, athleticism is 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 an important part of the NFL. But defenses have athletes on them too, so I think that's the part. You know, I think what you saw from a Russell Wilson, if you're going to use that comp, is he was able to um, to continue to refine his game. Mm-hmm. And even though he was a he was a crazy good athlete, now he throws. You know, just he drops dimes from the pocket, um, and, and he's got a, a good arm. He's got a good command of his offense. He's still evolved his game, even though he can you know he can be Houdini and break out. You know, and and will Lamar be able to take that maturation going forward? Because at, in two years, he might not be the fastest guy in the field anymore. So, can he then outthink somebody, outthrow somebody? Um, I think that'll be the evolution piece as well, too. And, and Russell Wilson's a great comp to think about somebody who's done that. Yeah, who went from crazy escapability and, and sort of making schoolyard plays drawn up in the dirt to now really commanding his offense and uh, and being successful in it too. And again, I think if you get Lamar anywhere close to a Russell Wilson esque career, I mean that's a that's a that's a big step for uh, for him. That's a that's a pretty big career. Yeah, that's the path I'm hoping that Dak Prescott goes down for my Cowboys. And you know, he's in the, he's in that he's in that season where you know he shows flashes and then he has other times that is a little inconsistent. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how he progresses. Yeah, if I get full disclosure about Cal- Dallas Cowboys fan, I've been so all, all my life. Um, two years ago, I, I remember watching a, uh, it was a, that Amazon Prime special on the Cowboys. I forget what the name of it was, but essentially they, they followed the Cowboys for an entire season behind the scenes, and they released it after the year. And there was one scene in that, in that show where after practice, Dak Prescott and Jason Garrett, the head coach, were having a throwing drill. And they essentially had set up a target on the wall there, and they were trying to see who, who could hit the target. And Garrett just smoked him. I mean, Garrett literally hit like five of five, and Dak was one of five. And I remember watching that, and I was talking to my wife, and I was like, our head coach is more accurate than our quarterback. <laughs> um, fast forward two years later, and you know he, is, he has improved um, a ton. I mean, he's, he's putting the ball right where his receivers want it. Um, you know, he's, he's able to make plays with his feet, with his arm. Um, you know, that loss to Minnesota, is, I don't think, is on him. I no. think he played his, you know, his rear end off that game. Um, and so, you know, it's a contract year. Maybe that's some extra motivation, but I certainly see the growth and development um, in, in him. And I'm curious who to who to attribute that to. 
You know, Kellen Moore got a lot of the love, the offensive coordinator, the former Boise State quarterback. He mm-hmm. got a lot of that love early in the season. Um, obviously, is he to, is he sort of to to give the credit to? Was, was Scott Lenahan the previous offensive coordinator? Was he limiting of Dak? I'm more curious to figure out, you know, where and, and how that maturation came to be. Um, but you're right. He's he's going to get paid this offseason, and, and hopefully it's by Dallas because he's uh, he certainly proved himself to be in that MVP conversation. Yeah. Now, the, the other big question will be, will Jason Garrett still be the coach of the Cowboys after this season? I, I, I got to think at this point, you know, you know what you're going to get with Jason Garrett. I, I think, it, you know, while we, I, I, he's, he's a former Cowboy, and I certainly respect what he's done and, 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 and what he's brought to the program. I, you know, at this point, I think you, you know what you're going to get with Garrett. And, uh, and if, if, if aspirations of Super Bowl championships are in your sight, which we know Jerry Jones has those aspirations, I think you know with Jason Garrett what it's going to be. And that's not to say it's bad, right? Nine and seven, ten and six, those are good years. But that's not what Jerry signs up for. And we all know Jerry likes to make a splash. We all know there's a hot uh, uh, you know, head coach in, in the University of Oklahoma that's, that's standing nearby. I would not be surprised if, if Jerry moves on and tries to get himself a, a splashy hire this offseason. Um, and perhaps he goes to, to Norman, Oklahoma with his first phone call. Yeah, that would be interesting to see. And, and, I, and I do have to agree with you on that, especially when you look at the Minnesota game, when Dak's moving him downfield for you know the potential go-ahead touchdown, and they run the ball twice. I don't have a problem with the first run. But, you know, and, you know, is Kellen Moore calling that play or is Jason Garrett saying, hey, we need to run the ball here? Those are the kind of things that just make me scratch my head so much. Yeah, that's, I'd love to hear the audio of the heads of the coaches' headsets, right? You know, because to your point, I'm sure uh, I'm sure Kellen Moore called the play, but was Garrett like, hey, let's go conservative here, nothing big, let's let's just get a couple yards? I, I think at that point, Garrett's thumbprint um, it w- is and was on that uh, that series of play calls um, from Kellen Moore. And, and again, maybe that's part of being a young offensive coordinator is you know not knowing when to challenge back your head coach and and do some of those things and we got to remember Kellen Moore was was Dak Prescott's backup last year yeah. so he's he's literally went from a, you know an active player to to offensive coordinator in, in the span of like you know 20 months yeah. um, and so he's also still learning as well but uh, I've been impressed with what he's called thus far I've been impressed with the the offense I would like to have seen more out of Zeke Elliott I mean he's he got paid a ton of money this offseason, and I know the running back position can be very cyclical, but uh, we haven't really had those those big Zeke moments. It seems like Dak has, has firmly kind of put the uh, the team on his shoulders, and, and really since the addition of Amari Cooper has has really kind of grown um, just right in front of our eyes too. But I think if we get Zeke running with him um, and get that complement of, of the run game, I, I, would, I would certainly feel comfortable about making a, a playoff run this year. I'm not going to go Super Bowl run, but at least a run into the playoffs. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with that as well. So uh, you mentioned uh, Colin Kaepernick's name a little bit earlier. So this uh, coming Saturday, he's going to have uh, a workout for uh, NFL teams to uh, take part in. And I find it interesting. Uh, I'm guessing this had to be some sort of, uh, of uh, mea culpa for settling the lawsuit that uh, you know that uh, he and Eric Reed had against the league. Very interesting aspect, but he's been in the league for three years. I, I'm just wondering. I, I have doubts that he could can really be more anything more than a backup at this point. Yeah, I think that's the thing with with Kaepernick. Obviously, we understand what the, the issues or the situation is that kind of got him um, off the field for the last couple of seasons. But it is three years removed. I mean, three years is a ton in NFL time, right? Three years ago, Lamar Jackson was what a college freshman. Um, and think about where he is now and what he's able to do and, and how the league has evolved just in that time. I, I, this whole thing is interesting. It, it depends. If, if you believe the reports that are out there, Kaepernick was, was called and told you have two hours to decide if you want to do this. It's being held on a day of the week that's not traditionally um, reserved for these kind of things. It's on a Saturday where most most decision makers in organizations are going to be on the road or at their at their home stadiums preparing for their Sunday game. Um, so it's interesting how this kind of comes together. I think it, it does have a bit of a uh, of a stench of, of a PR potential stunt, but it is also a good opportunity for for Kaepernick to get in there and, and see kind of what uh, what he's about. Um, I think there's a lot of people skeptical about what this really means, and I guess I would I would color myself in that same skeptical camp at this point. But uh, I certainly hope he gets a fair shake to to see what what he what he's about. I think you know on 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 performance alone. You certainly would think there'd be a team out there that could use him in a backup capacity based on who some of the backup quarterbacks are. 
Um, heck, as we record this, Jeff, we're, I'm watching the Steelers play, and their their top two quarterbacks are Mason Rudolph and uh, and Duck Hodges. So I mean, you, there, there's got to be a spot where somewhere Colin Kaepernick can can help a team. Yeah. And so hopefully this is the first uh, you know entryway into him getting that opportunity to get himself in front of decision makers and, and see if he has it. If he has it, he'll get signed. I mean, I think it's that simple at this point. Um, and I'll be curious to see what kind of comes out of all these conversations and, uh, and how the league thinks about it going forward. Yeah, and I wonder, you know, as part of the settlement, is there some sort of uh, languages that is he going to stand for the national anthem? Now, nobody talks about this anymore since he's been out of the league, right? Because, you know, you still have some guys who don't stand for the anthem, but nobody really talks about it. And that's going to raise an issue if he's on a team and he doesn't want to stand for the anthem because the cameras are all going to be on him for that. Well, it's interesting. So we just we just had this in Dallas, right? So Dallas just signed Michael Bennett from um, from uh, the New England. Yep. They, they they let him, or I'm sorry, we traded for him essentially. Yep. Uh, and obviously Michael Bennett was a player when he was with Seattle and, and even with Philadelphia who uh, didn't want to stand and, and was was you know having protests of some sort and uh, and he got. He got sent to Dallas, and I think like the third question in to his press conference was, "Are you going to stand for the anthem?" Everybody stands here, and he said, "Sure." And and sure enough, this past week he was out there on the sideline staying with his teammates. So I'm sure he'll get asked that question. Uh, I agree that'll be a telling part about how this conversation goes um, and and how what his answer looks like. But uh, I, I certainly am curious to see how it all shakes out, and uh, and maybe one day there'll be a uh, a thirty for thirty that comes out that kind of gives us the behind the scenes because I'm willing to bet there's more that uh, than meets the eye on what's happening with this one. Yeah. So let's uh, move on to some other sports. Uh, talk a little bit of baseball. So you know, word comes out that uh, Mike Fires uh, with the o- who's now an Oakland A's pitcher. When he was at the Astros, that uh, the Astros uh, set up a little uh, camera in center field to uh, help steal signs, and they would bang garbage cans uh, just outside of the dugout area to uh, try to tip the, the batter off. Uh, very interesting story. Um, you know, stealing signs has been a part of baseball for forever, but now when you play pull technology into it, this is a whole whole different level stuff. Yeah, I think that's where this one kind of crosses a bit of a line for me. To your point, stealing signs, and we saw it in the in the playoffs, right? I, I forget off the top of my head the name of the pitcher, but there was a pitcher who was tipping his pitches. He Strasburg. held his glove high. Yeah, there you go. He held his, his glove high when he was throwing off speed and low. It was a fastball, and and uh, and and they picked up on it, and they were they were talking to each other. That stuff happens all the time. I think that's where this one crosses the line is when you're when you're using technology, kind of secretive technology. Um, to uh, to alert batters and, and other players of what's happening, um, the Astros have just taken a uh, a proverbial just just car wash through the the PR nightmare cycle of late. Right, with we saw their their assistant GM Brandon Taubman had a had an incident with some reporters. Uh, obviously, they've had some things in the past as well with their with their general manager. Um, and so, this is an interesting kind of continuation of some of the things you've seen down there in Houston. To me, normally, if you had told me, hey, they stole signs, hey, they there was there was pitch tipping, and, and someone picked up on it. I would say much to do about nothing, but when you're going to put a camera up in a private feed and a, and a monitor, uh, I think that's where you you sort of cross the line between what's uh, what's acceptable and what's kind of fair play. And so, you know, who, who knows what, what the MLB will, will do here? I think it's interesting because I think similar to when you had Spygate with the uh, the Patriots, um, you know, I'm sure other teams have something similar, and there are probably some other facets of this happening across the uh, across the league. So. You know, will they make an example of the Astros, similarly to what the NFL did with the Patriots, to kind of curtail this uh, behavior or or incentivize other teams to stop doing this if it's something that they're a part of? Yeah, and I and I think the other telling thing about this, because I think this puts a little bit of a stain on them, especially you know, with their manager and their and their and their management team, is you know they can't not know about it. So <laughs> you know, they're they're kind of signing off on this on this on this quote unquote cheating. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, from what I saw in the, in the article I read on the Athletic, really well, well, well done piece. I mean, there was a monitor that was right between the, the tunnel of the clubhouse and the dugout. So anybody who's in that area would have had to have seen that monitor. And then obviously team personnel would, would be, you know, certainly in those areas heavily trafficked throughout the, the course of the game. So, yeah, there had to be multiple people that, uh, that saw this, too. I, I'm curious, though, what... You know, with with Mike Fires, it, you know what what the blowback will be is this is this breaking some sort of a code of, uh, of players by by even bringing this up? 
Uh, we know baseball lives itself by the unwritten rules. So I'm curious what this does for, for a guy like Mike Fires and, uh, and is the future of his career or how he's going to be thought of kind of as a clubhouse guy going forward. Yeah, exactly. I was having a conversation with a buddy at work about this because th- and, and, and he said, well, he better not pitch in the na- National League <laughs> and when the Astros come to town because he'll, he'll, he'll get the tower buzzed for sure. Um, but yeah, that is an interesting aspect because it's one thing for him to tip off the team he's with now that hey they, they yeah. do this little maneuver but to uh, go into the go into the media circle with it is is definitely a different different take well plus if he if he signs with your team and you're a player and he walks in your clubhouse can you you know are you instinctively saying can I trust this guy is he part of our you know can I is there something I should hide from him or if I'm doing X or if I know X do I want to do I want to steer clear of them? I think the clubhouse dynamics with uh, with Mike Fires will certainly be interesting going forward. I suspect the MLB will figure out a way to come down pretty heavily on the Astros. And again, I think there's just too many there's too many other incidents that when there's smoke, there's fire. And uh, I think you'll you'll see some sort of penalty kind of befall them. And and with probably the the, the you there? Hello. Yep, I lost you there for a second. Oh, sorry. Yep, go ahead. Yeah, my last my last comment was simply: it, it, I think MLB will come down on this one pretty hard, um, just to curtail and uh, make sure that other teams are are you know understanding what the uh, what the punishment would be for something along these lines. Gotcha. All right, so let's switch over to the NBA, and a hot topic of late is the the one of load management. And I tell you where I fall on this, you know. Growing up watching the NBA, you know, I don't think, you know, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, they never had a problem playing 82 games. <laughs> where do you stand on load management? Yeah, I try to take that same view, right? Like, I don't want to be the old get-off-my-lawn guy, but I agree. When I when I was growing up and there was that Sunday NBC game and I turned it on and it was Bulls-Pistons, I saw Michael, I saw Scotty, I saw Isaiah, I saw Rodman. And you, you never didn't see them play unless they were injured and they had some sort of a brace on or ice on or something, right? And so to see players today just kind of sit out for a rest and things like that certainly feels feels weird. Now, I will admit that you know, there's a whole bunch of science that's allegedly out there that says this is the smart thing to do and that's what teams are looking at. I will, I will be full transparent. I haven't seen that science. So for, for, for me, if there's a study out there that I could read, I, I'd be totally open to it. I will, I will absolutely open my mind and say, let me, let me read this study about how, how, how we know that this is true. I understand common sense would tell you if you do something every single solitary day and it's of a very physical nature, allowing your body the opportunity to rest is a good thing. I think we all think that, that and know that that's common sense. But I, I just haven't I, – I need to see the science before I believe in it, um, and I, I need to see it to understand it. I also need to understand why only certain players need it. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's, there's, there's you know, what, 30-some-odd teams in the league. Why, why doesn't every team need to have – why isn't Hassan Whiteside going on load management tonight for Portland, right? Why are there only <laughs> three or four guys that need load management? And, and if, if the case is that they have chronic injuries and things like that, well, then that's a different story. But just to say we've got to sit this person to, to preserve them and, and keep them healthy, you know, I, again, I understand how you would think that common sense-wise that makes some sense, but I, I would need to see the this, this studies on this. Because the reality is the fans are the ones who are kind of being cheated out of this, right? Yeah. And it's, it's never a good thing to disappoint your paying customer. I am more likely, it was, it was what last Wednesday I think it was where um, Kawhi Leonard decided not to play and it was a game that I, it was, he was playing, uh, I believe they're playing Milwaukee, so it was him versus Giannis and that's a matchup I would have watched 10 times out of 10 and when I heard he wasn't playing, I didn't tune into that game, I didn't watch it because I, I wasn't going to get the real game I wanted to see. So I think you're going to see some of that. I don't know what the what the you know what the commissioner's office can do about it. I think that's the other telling thing is what what can be done. Um, but I agree that it's it's an emerging problem. And if there's science that tells you that this is better for people, like let's produce that science so everyone can kind of take a look and understand it. If not, you know, I, I'm going to be in the same camp as you. Is if you're healthy and, and and you can play, then then you should get out there and play. Yeah, and, and, and you're right about that. The problem's out there. The horse is out of the barn. How do you get it back is the, the, the big question. And I also kind of go back to, you know, you can go back to like the, you know, even into the 1980s, you know, teams did not fly charter. I mean, they're flying regular airline flights. They're playing back-to-back, sometimes even back-to-back-to-back. 
games back in the day and and you know these teams now have all these advantages of today's modern amenities i can't i still have a hard time wrapping my head around yeah the load management thing not 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 so much do, do i like it well and the nba has done a a, a good job at trying to even improve this right they've, they've they've severely cut down on the number of back-to-back games that teams are playing they severely cut down on the four games and five nights phenomenon they start the season earlier now so they can give the teams and the, and the players more rest on the all-star break. You know, I, I think they're doing some of these little things to help, you know, to try to make sure that they're, they're giving into, not giving into, I guess, but, but trying to be sensitive to, to the players and to their bodies and to their health. And yet it still isn't enough. And at some point it's interesting that, you know, what, what, what can they do? Can they start finding teams? Can there be punitive measures? You know, will they shorten the season? I mean, it's interesting to see what happens. I just keep going back to not every player needs it, and uh, and that's the part I need to understand why is you know why somebody needs load management, but yet you know the the eleventh guy off the bench is is able to play every night, you know however many minutes is needed. I think that's the part that I just need more. I need more clarity on. So I need either the NBA or one of these an agent of a player to show me the reason why this is uh, the right thing for everybody. I think I just thought of an idea. How about if you take, for every load management game you take during the regular season, you have to lose one playoff game? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking, actually, I was kicking the same thing around. Like, if you miss one game, you have to miss, you know, the next two or something, right? There's got to be some sort of a measure. Um, or you start the next game that you play in with three fouls. I don't know, right? There's got to be something <laughs> that uh, that would be punitive to, to discourage teams from, from doing that. Now, again, if a player is hurt and they're nicked up and they need a, they need a night off for rest, you know, I think then then that that certainly is uh, acceptable. But to say, hey, you know what? I don't want to play back to back, so I'm going to take this one off. You know, I, I don't know. I think that just that just undermines, I think, what the spirit of uh, of competition is about. Yeah. So let's turn to college basketball. The James Wiseman story in Memphis is certainly an interesting one. Uh, deemed ineligible because uh, Penny Hardaway paid for him to move in high school, and. Memphis decided, well, you know, we're playing anyway, and now they've come to uh, to a to a different course of action now. So he is going to uh, sit out and uh, take discipline. They're go- going to appeal now. This is a very interesting story. Do you think a high school transgression should count against his college career? Well, yes and no, right? So this is this is for me when we when Memphis hired Penny Hardaway. That was my first thought was he was a high school coach, he was well accomplished, he was an AAU coach for a while. He's got good connections. Um, and, and so I, I personally was kind of like, wait a minute, th- th- we're, this is okay. We're just going to hire the, the high school coach who's got connections to all these all these kids and all of a sudden he was getting these recruits. Um, it felt like something was was interesting with that, particularly because of, of Penny's ties to Memphis, but um, so on, on face value, do I think that that should be a violation? Probably not. I think the NCAA typically, you know, overblow some of these things. What I find more interesting about this is this news kind of dropped around the same time as you saw what happened with Chase Young at Ohio State. So he got uh, apparently he took a loan from a family friend to fly his girlfriend to the to the Rose Bowl last year, and it got found out. And so he got. Uh, he, he essentially was sat out for one game, and then the NCAA came back and now has suspended him a second game. And so essentially he you know, said, yeah, I did it, I admit it, here's what happened, and Ohio State worked with him, and he only got a two-game suspension. Well, what's interesting is James Wiseman and, and Memphis said, no, we're fighting this, and they went to court, got an injunction, and, uh, and all of a sudden it's interesting. Today we learned that he dropped that, uh, that, that lawsuit, and now he's working with the NCAA. I just find that interesting that Chase Young essentially took his medicine and got a really lenient sentence where James Wiseman was fighting it. I'm curious to see what would have happened if he had gone that course of action. It almost to me feels like the NCAA is going to say, hey, these things are kind of minor transgressions, but we need to keep the appearance of our power up. So as long as you don't fight us, you know, we'll, we'll give you some sort of a, a punishment and move on. But um, James Wiseman came out and, and tried to fight it initially, and all of a sudden today he, he's not fighting anymore. So I'm curious to see what that means and what the, what the reinstatement statement process looks like. To answer your question, ultimately, should this matter? No. I mean, I, I think there's any number of things that if you really want to go back and, and look through everything, there's, there certainly are going to be things, uh, I think, on most kids, some very innocuous and some almost – uh, you know, almost unintentional. But uh, to go back to high school for some of this stuff certainly does feel petty at, at that point. But the Hardaway situation is interesting because of his ties, his, his alumni status, 
So I do think that that one is a bit muddier than some of the uh, some of the more cut and dry ones that we've seen. Yeah, no question. And then you look at uh, you, you know the the FBI uh, looking into the the cheating scandal with college coaches and. Uh, uh, you know, the VCU fans uh, last night dressed up as FBI agents to troll Will Wade of LSU. I thought that was pretty humorous. But, you know, it's very interesting. You know, this investigation isn't going to be solved during the basketball season again this year. We do know that because they don't want they, they don't want it to to begin with. And then you look at the overall end of it is I don't think anybody really cares. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It- it's it's funny. Like I'm I'm numb to these things now, right? When I see you know so and so scandal, uh, I mean we have no idea. Arizona and Sean Miller were, were you know were being looked at for a long time. There was thoughts about paying DeAndre Ayton. You know Duke and, and Coach K and Nike were were talked about for Zion Williamson. Bill Self at Kansas has any number of issues going on with the with his Adidas stuff and, and some of those trials as well. I'm just kind of numb to it these days. It just when I see it come across my scroll on on my sports channel. I just almost don't even pay attention to it anymore because I don't. I don't really, you know. It's it's kind of commonplace to some extent. I don't even really know what it means anymore. Um, I just suspect that some of these things are happening everywhere. Um, and I think for for me, gone are the days of of a great you know gasping shock when I learned that potentially something under the table took place because I think there's just there's just too many people involved. There's too much money to to at stake here for us to all think that everything that's being done is above the board. Yeah, and the fans, you know, there's no big outcry from from fan bases about this. Whether you're you, it's happening with your team or 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 your your hated rival. It's because people just want to want to want to see the sports and see see good basketball being played. <laughs> well, it's core. It's it's a it's a victimless crime. I mean, I guess if anybody's the victim, it's the college kids who essentially are you know potentially getting exploited in some form or fashion. But it's a victimless crime if you know if if so and so's parents are able to you know to get additional compensation to to buy themselves a car to drive to the games to see their son play. You know, it's a victimless crime in some respects. I think that's where that the public outcry has kind of gone as as things have. You know, you think about society today, we see so many things that happen that, you know, we just couldn't imagine 10 years ago. And, and every day the news is littered with any number of, of tragic events that happen. And, and now all of a sudden, you know, put that up to, you know, so-and-so's mom got a $1,000 loan to buy a Ford Focus to drive to the game every week. It just seems like almost silly in comparison to some extent. So I think, you know, it's a victimless crime in some respects. And I think I think at large now the, the, the country is just kind of looking at it going, yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, on to the next one. Are, do we play Saturday? Are we playing Sunday? Who, who do we play? Yeah. Um, I, I think people just move on to it. Yeah, you can sell autographs or tattoos now, probably, too. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so, interesting, you're in California, and, you know, all this talk about uh, paying the players, and they, uh, you know, passed the, the pet legislation out in California. Uh, where, where, where do you stand on players being paid? Well, that's the thing that's interesting. I think if you look at what the bill was in California, it, it wasn't about, I think people say, you know, players being paid and they take that out of context. It's not like you're going to draw a check every two weeks for going to this school. What the, what the bill essentially did out here was, was proposing and was essentially approved out here was that you can profit off your name, likeness, and image. And so if I am the star quarterback at USC and, you know, the, the car dealership around the corner wants to hire me to do commercials and I, I put my face to the, to the ads and I can make a couple of dollars off that, that essentially that would be allowed. Now, I think there was even some rules about how much money and they were putting a cap on it. And so I think it, it's, it's not the widespread floodgate opening, uh, a, a paychecks coming into your account every two weeks in terms of paying players. It allows players to capitalize off of their name, likeness, and image. I do think there's some disparities in that. But I also think, you know, do we really think that, you know, Alabama is going to have 75 car dealers lining up to sign every player and, and offer them offer them money? I mean, I do think some of this stuff is, is getting a little bit romanticized into what we think can happen. But I will, I will freely admit there's probably going to be situations where a player goes to a school based on marketing opportunities as well as the, the football program or basketball program. And, and unfortunately, education will probably be the third element of it, too. But I don't think it's going to be as widespread and as, as, as egregious as, as folks think, at least for the bill that's out here in California. Now, we've seen other states follow suit, and, and they have their own bills coming out. And so maybe there's some changes based on what some of those other legislations will have. Um, and, and true to form, the NCAA now has formed a committee of, of people to take a look at this. And, and so we'll see where, where that leads us. But I, I think I'm okay with it. I think there just needs to be guardrails. I think with everything, there has to be guardrails. 
you know, is there a cap on how much they can make? Does the money go into a trust account that they can't get until a certain age? I think all those things are reasonable things to discuss. Uh, but I, I don't suspect this is going to be sort of a widespread, you know, uh, every two weeks you're drawing a paycheck into your account. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to watch. I know that's uh, come up uh, in here in the state of Florida as well. So we'll definitely keep eyeballs on that. Adam, uh, again, you co-host the Sons of UCF with the UCF. Mike, you guys do a great job with that. Why don't you let the folks know uh, how they can follow you on Twitter and whatnot. Yeah, find us at, uh, at Twitter, um, at, at Sons of UCF. You can also follow my co-host, Mike. He's at UCF Mike one Show comes out typically every Tuesday nights, only on the Nightline Sports Network. You can follow those guys um, at UCF underscore Nightline. Uh, make sure you find the, the feed there. You can subscribe, rate, review. There's, there's four to five shows that come out weekly, so there's a, a flagship Nightline show. There's Sons of UCF. Uh, Jeff, you have a show, obviously, that talks about the American Conference. There's typically a Nightline Extra, and there's also a, a Sunday morning show that uh, that Andrew Fagley does on ESPN Radio in Orlando. So if you are a UCF fan and UCF content is what you strive, we are the place for you. So make sure you find us and uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Yeah, and of course, you mentioned you do the, uh, the Extra for the preview each week, so you get the week off this week. I do. It's funny. Yeah, I, I thought about trying to get somebody on, and I was like, well, I guess there's really nothing to talk about, so... I gotta start figuring out who to who to call from Tulsa, and I got a really tough problem coming up after that because we have the cows, and so as you know, we don't we don't play nice with the cows. So do I actually get a cow insider? Is that an oxymoron? <laughs> I gotta figure all that out. So luckily, I have a few weeks to, to get that uh, get that figured, but uh, I've, I've certainly got that one looming, and I've got a lot of questions. Well, thank you for taking your night off to spend it with me uh, on this podcast, and as always, we enjoy the conversation. Adam Eaton, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Jeff. Take care. Thanks for listening to Jeff Allen Sports Talk. Follow Jeff on Twitter at Jeff Allen underscore 88, on Facebook at Jeff Allen 88, and the website JeffAllenSportsTalk.com. And you can reach out to the show anytime by email, JeffAllenSportsTalk at gmail.com. Jeff Allen Sports Talk is brought to you exclusively by Kramer's Salve for Dogs. Kramer's Salve is a safe and natural approach to help your best friend live an itch-free life. It's made from the finest ingredients so it stops itching, heals hot spots, and painful inflamed skin. Kramer's Salve contains a proprietary blend of neem, an ingredient known for its healing properties. A 4-ounce 6-month supply, including shipping, is just $30, and the 2-ounce 3-month supply, including shipping, is only $20. Help your dog end the itch and hot spot cycle. Order today at Kramersalve.net. That's K-R-A-M-E-R-S-A-L-V-E. LVE.net.